mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I'm Russell Tovey. And I'm Robert Diamant. And this is Talk Art. Welcome to Talk Art. How are you, Rob? Tonight, Russell, I am feeling connected and I'm feeling incredibly lucky and grateful that we've been given the gift of getting to spend time with artists because for me, great artists have something to say and in doing so, they kind of enable us as viewers and as supporters and people that are interested in the arts to kind of learn and to work out what we have to say as well and I think artists can predict and reflect on the world around us and what's happening in politics way ahead of every other kind of medium. Like people think newspapers are where you should be looking, but I've always believed no. you should be looking in galleries Culture. and looking at the exactly yeah. and the works Art. that artists yeah. are making. Art speaks quicker than propaganda. Yeah. Who, who said that? Is that your quote? Me. Oh, well, yeah. okay. Good one. I like that. You can have it, yeah. And uh, our artist that we're speaking with today is really one of the greatest artists of our time, in my opinion. And I know that might sound like a grand gesture, but it's a, it's a really important thing for people to hear. Because I think, you know, what this artist has to say is so important and she's been so ahead of her time. You know, making work about the environment, about kind of environmental racism and global warming and... Yeah, I mean, her work has been described as cartographic as well, which is such an interesting word. Which is the practice of drawing maps, for people who don't know. Exactly, the practice of drawing maps. Yes. Yeah, so I am looking forward to welcoming to Talk Art... Torquase Dyson! <laughs> Thank you both for having me. That's You're quite so welcome. Of course. <laughs> Sorry, it's probably a bit, a bit cringe. <laughs> Are, are you making art in the background there, Torquase? Are you, are you stripping paper and painting and drawing? Because in that introduction, I could hear scribblings and scramblings underneath <laughs> Rob's intro. Love. Okay. Wow, this must pick up really well. I, I do tend to take notes and write and jot things down and have kind of reminders in front of me when I have conversations. So mm. it's, uh, it's just me writing Great. Thinking and responding, even to the intro. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Great. What did What did you come up with? What What, what, what were you writing and <laughs> ah, saying, responding? Funny. I, well, I wrote down. Don't forget to mention Temple. I also wrote down 
don't forget to talk about music. <laughs> Things ah, like that. All right, that. good, yeah. And um, I think that's it. I underlined ceremony. There's a, there's a lot going there's a lot going on there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is. There's a lot to unpick there. Um, so for the listeners who might not already be aware of your work, I mean, I'm sure some will, but some might not. Um, we actually discovered you during lockdown, and one of the reasons I used the word connected in the intro was because we were um, brought to your work through the curator Hansorik Obrist, who did a chat with you, hosted by your gallery, Pace Gallery, and it was in I think the third of April, um, and it was an Instagram live, which was such an unusual format to kind of discover an artist's work in a way and um i love that idea that now you know we we have a space which isn't just a gallery space it's actually it could be through instagram it's such a strange phenomenon and we're kind of connected mm -hmm. internationally in this new way yeah no it was a great um opportunity to talk again with hans um it felt you know, as you're looking into these sort of dots and called cameras, and I know Hans, he's familiar, so it was a familiar conversation, but all of the listeners who were listening live were sort of popping up and all of these, um, I don't know, notices were coming on. And it, it was such an interesting um, kind of watching and listening and reading yeah. Because while we were talking, people were like making notes and asking questions, and it really had my brain on all cylinders. So it was it was nice, and I had to remind myself, wait a minute, <laughs> one thought at a time. <laughs> but um, yeah, mm -hmm. it was it was great. It was great to be so have so much distance, but feel some you know connection and familiarity. It was it was nice. It was a good moment. I think what. I think what I responded to and what a lot of people responded to is the the clarity with the way you talk about your practice and how unique the language is that you're exploring. Because for people who don't know your work and for people that know your work, they would come to your work as a geometric abstraction, hard lines, um, very, uh, the color palette is very limited, uh, quite darker. And yet within this abstract, geometry there is a figurative narration that runs through it it's based on stories and narratives of uh, historical moments for black bodies in history mm -hmm. that you are mm -hmm. navigating through geometric abstraction so there is mm -hmm. the, the multi-layeredness of this is so exciting right now to explore with you um and that's why it's been so exciting to get this moment to talk to you because I think the language you are creating is so unique to you. Thank you. I, I well, I think that the uniqueness is a part of a challenge in relationship to invention, and mm -hmm. it's a goal and or mission and or vision of mine that I take history um, and I take ways of knowing with the body and I take ideas of, you know, the present um, connected to the past and consider the future to, you know, add something to an already existing pretty dynamic understanding of place, space, and liberation. So I'm very intentional about um, creating a contribution. Mm -hmm. um, out of 
a really vast and um, tremendous um, history of um, new ideas, new forms, uh, new ways of thinking about things, you know, coming in and out of history with an expanded um, idea. Um, so I'm very intentional about both the language mm-hmm. and the form and the practice. So. Mm-hmm. Can I just take you back on what you just saying then? You feel like you're navigating a space of, of place, space and liberation that's well documented. But I, I, I don't know if it is, in, in, in which way is it well documented? Like in, in many artists have covered that or it's been um, told in other ways? Well, I think kinds of lived experiences and documentations come out in a myriad of ways. And... Yeah. Everyone, everyone from, I'll say, images of Roscoe Mitchell to, you know, narratives of her, in our own words, Harriet Jacobs to, mm-hmm. you know, incomplete and fractured, but, um, but um, super, super helpful archives. So there's a lot of um, different ways echo indexes documentation happens around me and I'm just, Mm -hmm. you know, privy to it um, because I went to um, HBCU, a historically black college. I've gone, you know, lived in in Tougaloo, Mississippi. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I went to Tougaloo College in Tougaloo. Wow. How'd you spell, how'd you spell Tougaloo? I know how to spell Mississippi, M-I-S-S-R-S-S-R-P-I. How'd you spell Tougaloo? <laughs> T-O-U-G-A-L-O-O, Tougaloo. Tougaloo, Mississippi, I love it. That's like yeah, a Yeah, it's a show. beautiful, beautiful, so, beautiful institution, yeah. Wow. You, uh, uh, there's going to be a lot of this talk, I say, that I'm going to be, well, we're going to be going in on things that you're saying because you mentioned Roscoe Mitchell and Harriet Jacobs. Now, I'm ignorant, forgive my ignorance. Would you be able to explain who these people are historically uh, and how they play into your work? Well, Roscoe Mitchell, you know, is a percussionist. And um, he is famous, well, became famous in my mind, in my body, um, because of the ways in which his percussion became, in my mind, a sculpture. So to think mm-hmm. about Roscoe as a sound um, artist and a sculptor in relationship to how he constructs sound resonates with the ways in which constructions, I think about constructions of paintings and drawings. Mm-hmm. So in, right. in the sort of broader sense of creating a kind of condition of the overall creating an idea of like, how do you communicate things in the round and how do you produce um, ideas of sensoria, right? These different sensory um, kind of registers that are happening simultaneously. Mm-hmm. And um, I right. have been pretty obsessed with an exhibition called Freedom Principles, Experiments in Music and Art. Um, um, that was at the MCA Chicago a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And just right. going through, and oftentimes, you know, go through exhibitions and their catalogs, especially the ones I've visited, you know, in person to, 
to remind myself, um, you know, of how things both get told and retold. And especially this idea of kind of artistic and symphonic organization around art and artists and sculpture this particular in this particular case mm-hmm. um so right. that's what was sort of on the tip of my tongue yeah and harry and harriet jacobs so harriet jacobs um was a woman who was born into slavery in north carolina and Long story short, she's known for creating which is called what something that is called a, a loophole of retreat, where she hid in what is called a garret for eight years, off right. and on. Um, and through this, um, she experienced different kinds of seasons and sounds, and of course, a transformation of her own body because of this um, very cramped space. But I came to, you know, Harriet's work, you know, I had read incidents in the life of a slave girl at Tougaloo, but I'd come to thinking about it as black geography through Catherine McKendrick's work. So to, to really think about, um, you know, black geographies, black geographies created by black women in particular, um, in relationship to architecture, space, and again, self-liberation really is making my work um, a kind of journey that's an ongoing, something that's indeterminable, something that is, you know, both creative and express- expressive, mm-hmm. but with like measurable, like with measurable, um, sort of measurable parameters, right? So. Right. I create right. conditions that are, you know, calculable, determinable in a very disciplined way so that I can create things that are immeasurable, phenomenological, um, inventive, you know. So Harriet, by way of thinking about black women, black women in black geography is a way to, to consider air, light, <laughs> you know, passing of the day, environment, environmental um, conditions, the body, mm-hmm. movement, stillness, all of these things um, work together. Um, so that's the way it's going. And actually, you're a, you describe yourself as a painter, but you work across all different mediums in order to explore what you're just describing. And I was yeah. really taken by a show that you did at the Drawing Centre in 2018 or a project you did there, kind of like mm-hmm. workshops um, and the way that you uh, worked with dan- a, a dancer to kind of move through the space and mm-hmm. with architects. And, and, you know, a lot of the, the concepts that you were just discussing were kind of embodied in, in, in that performance, um, mm-hmm. which you then mm-hmm. documented yourself. Can you speak a bit about that collaboration with the Drawing Centre? Because I just found it really an important kind of moment for you, I think. It absolutely was. So um, I was invited to sort of think through this project. Um, I'm going to bring it up and look at it. Um, This project called the Winter Wells Drawing School for Environmental Liberation. Mm -hmm. And the Winter Wells Drawing School for Environmental Liberation is essentially... um, 
a gathering. I was like a, com uh, a gathering of people from different studies, different vernaculars, different, um, you know, techniques, histories to think about drawing as a way to live uh, or project more livable futures. And so Claire Gilman, who so graciously allowed me to experiment with the Winter Wales Drawing School, very much so. And in that, under the rubric of the school, I invited a performance collective I created called Dark Adaptive. I invited Mario Goodman, Mitch McEwen, and a host of um, artists and thinkers and speakers to come think about um, ideas of Black liberation, right? So yeah. we came to a moment where uh, Dark Adaptive, um, me, myself, um, Andres L. Hernandez, and Zachary Fabri, mm -hmm. who are the members of Dark Adaptive, came um, to respond to both the architecture of the space, the work um, that I was doing in the space, the drawings, the, the prints, the small sculptures, to think about a shape language that I'm dealing with called the hypershape. Mm -hmm. So talking about building language and building systems to produce work, um, the, the hypershapes are a collection of shapes that... I, at the time, was exhausting, abstracting, throwing around, tossing around on paper mm -hmm. to think about <clears throat> ideas of acceleration and movement through, uh, with Black people in space. So those are the hypershapes. So Dark Adaptive came in and said, okay, well, with the hypershape or with the idea of the hypershape, how do we think about more Black geographies? So Andres H. Hernandez brought in um, histories of the Negro League. And then Zach, um, Zachary Fabri brought in a kind of improvisational movement based on the information that Andres brought in. So the Drawing Center was an opportunity to collaborate with so many different people who could express so many different um so many different ways that they perceive and think about space and justice and blackness mm -hmm. and all of it, what it had in common was, I think, I believe now looking back was a kind of experimentation again, based on both historical facts, historical questions, ideas of future, Christina Sharp, you know, dealing in the wake of um, the transatlantic slave trade in the wake of chattel slavery in the wake of a kind of, for me, uh, a kind of modernism and technology that would then prove um, a kind of extraction that then would change the climate and connect it to the extraction and extracting of bodies from um, continents all over the world. So all of this work at the drawing center was really an amalgamation of thoughts and ideas and was really successful in um, these collaborations where people were very, very generous and created so much more of an archive um, than I could have ever done alone. So, right. mm. yeah, it was pretty, um, it was a pretty fantastic moment at the Drawing Center. And um, I want to say something about yeah. the performance yes. that the performance was done in private. 
So I'm also aware um, that with Dark Adaptive, we sometimes make performances where we are audience, right? And the architecture is an audience, right? Yeah. And there's um, the object. So the, bo- the body is architecture. The body's architecture and the architecture is performance. So yeah. if, we, if the argument of architecture is performative, right? If it oh. performs, guides, choreographs, um, then the body as an architectonic within that space can shift mm-hmm. and move and grow and become a sort of entangled envelope, right? So, wow, yeah. you know, we wanted to do that in private. We wanted to do it so that Zachary could really move through the space um, with intention and have some intimacy and not always create um, a condition of sociality in, in that particular way in relationship to performance. So, Wow. Can I take you back onto the hyper shapes? These are sure. <laughs> um, mot- motifs or shapes that represent instruments of black resistance and liberation. And there is, uh, I, I have discovered so many historical stories through these images. And, and you, you have explored the square or the box, the curved line, the trapezoid, the triangle, the circle. And with each of these shapes that appear in your work, in your drawings, they are all um, loaded in an historical moment that defines these shapes, right? Very much so. Um, yeah, so it's a system, again, that I've been working on to get to another place. And I knew that and understood that I needed to think through a register of constant shifting, growing, you know, liberation to... Mm. to understand that to make a work that was both, um, you know, in real time that could, you know, explore, again, ideas of consciousness, perspective, perception, ability, capability. I needed it to start from a history of triumph and belief and a spirituality and a discipline and a you know, um, a kind of remarkable fortitude under unmeasurable degradation that I can't even imagine. So the idea yeah. of developing uh, a work around perception, consciousness, space, and liberation needed to start with a history that um, told those stories so that the geometries. Yeah could um, could also be projected into a space. And I could also use space as form, right? So, yes. yeah, so all of these things are growing and the stories, you know, become, you know, more <laughs> and denser yes, and totally. greater. Can I talk about an example then of, of, the, of, of how these um, shapes play into your work because there's as we've talked about the different motifs but there is like the motif of the raft uh, which which forms uh, a rectangular shape within your practice that appears Mm -hmm. frequently but the the rectangle for you well for anybody who comes to your work is is 
really connected to an incident in history of um, liberation in some ways mm -hmm. that ended in absolute tragedy. But it's a liberated shape that you can then play into your practice. Can we talk about the story that 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 how loaded the rectangle oh, is for you within your work? Sure. Um, so there's a couple of shapes now. So Box Brown, of course, is one. And I think you're talking about Eugene Williams. Um, That's right. Yes. Yes. Okay. So yeah, Eugene Williams, the raft. Yeah, Eugene Williams was. Let me bring up that um, project. Eugene Williams was a young man um, in Chicago who was simply really um, in and about Chicago between segregated zones. And him and his friends had come to the lake. And I'm from Chicago, so I'm from very familiar with these with these sites, with these geographies. Had come to the lake and created a raft, right? <laughs> so, and what struck me was to have found material, create something that was buoyant, and then return to that object that was buoyant on water in Lake Michigan for um, a space of play and a space of um, relaxation and a space of togetherness, right? From complete debris, right? It's, um, it's a way in which they built architecture in one, this raft, this floating raft, you know, water is architecture. And then they made it so that they could use it over and over again. So there's a level of resilience, there's a level of um, structural engineering, even with the hand, right, the haptic. And then there's a level of finding, you know, these freedoms and these moments, these interstitial moments or um, liminal moments between segregated site and segregated site. So these kids had found this space, they had made a raft, they had gone out um, and played several times on the raft as teenage boys in Chicago, just this sort of amazing thing. And I was really struck by um, the ingenuity behind it, the kind of risk behind it, the ways in which one finds a way or, you know, a collective group of people find a way to have freedoms and um, in secrecy. Um, and also, you know, at the time, um, the story was talked about that these were hot and cold zones because all of the because of all of the runoff right in the city from the industrial waste. So sometimes the water would be cold, sometimes the water would be hot, and all of this kind of water as refuge, but also water as a sort of toxic space mm -hmm. that one then still finds liberation was sort of fascinating, well not sort of, was absolutely fascinating to me and an example of what we do, right? Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, so brilliant people, young people are making these, um, making these freedom spaces and here comes this racist white man, right? Um, and I always say, um, the worst thing to be, the worst thing to want to be is to want to be white. The worst thing to want to be is to want to have a kind of whiteness that um, by itself dictates your dominance over someone else. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. complete absence of acknowledgement of care and a complete, um, I think, a psychotic condition where you see something that's free and your instinct is to kill it. 
the, the symbols, uh, the shapes feel like a key that unlocks the understanding for me into your work because the overarching um, your work is about environmentalism and the geography and historical geography of, of black bodies through time and black bodies contemporary. And it feels like when, when stories are imbued in shapes that you then put into geometric abstraction, you are telling us your storytelling is being told to us through these symbols. And even if we don't know what they are, you know that we are being witness to moments of history that are incredibly important. Yeah, I, I would um, say absolutely and more. And what I mean by that more is that there's fundamentally in my mind, there's a also a deep connection to indigenism, right? And mm -hmm. the idea that people have always been mobile, people have always been modular, people have always mm -hmm. used environment and space to um, to really develop a, a kind of consciousness and connection to both place, space, time, and distance. So the work is starts with these uh, shapes and are informed of these shapes because I understand the human tendency to project bodies into space. You know, this is a, a kind of existence and I'll say it's a it's a condition of being human and more specifically for me it's a condition of blackness so when I think about you know indigenism all over the globe whether it's the global south or where it's here in the first people's practices in the United States there's something about movement there's something about consciousness sometimes it's stillness sometimes it's growth but everything and it's, I'll say, between life and death, because I think those things are um, limiting when thinking about consciousness. But between that, everything mm -hmm. is constantly expanding. And expansion in relationship to geometry means projection. You know, so projecting through the drawings and the paintings and the sculpture um, is a kind of grappling with, you know, a history in the present of, you know, what is capable from humanity, you know, um, mm -hmm. I needed, I needed, um, I needed a beginning, right. I needed a, to understand these histories, uh, both local and global histories. Yes. So I chose narratives that were familiar to me as in, yeah. you know, um, Chicago and unfamiliar to me, you know? Um, so, all of it is, you know, kind of effect. And I would say that systems of, when we talk about systems and systems of whiteness, it, it's not a, um, I don't, I understand blackness to have a system in itself, right? To have a kind of internal um, growth, consciousness, intelligence, ideas that is, is operating um, regardless of the white system that is may mm -hmm. ha may be happening simultaneously, so there's a and I want to be very clear about um, the humanity in ideas of both determined systems and in, indeterminable thing indeterminable things that come out of systems, right? 
So it's um, it's a very um, it's a very foundational um, you know theoretical space in the work that I call Black compositional thought. It's a very foundational um, you know practice for me to think about this locally, but understand it globally and historically as mm. things that um, you know humans have a natural ability to do if left alone, you know? So, yeah. yeah. And, and also you're t- t- talking about that black compositional thought that that's in relation to this idea of um, the way that like the black body can navigate through spaces, which are often shaped by a white society. No. Well, it depends. I think that, I think that colonization, right. Mm. And, a kind of um, the tragedy of uh, capital patriarchy mm. and they don't exist without other, you know, autonomies existing simultaneously. Right. right, right, right so right. I am very careful to understand the history of white supremacy, patriarchy, ideas of colonization that have themselves been disrupted and interrupted by revolutions and or liberation. So mm-hmm. it's not all operational, though it, it, though it has an impact. And it's certainly not always subject, though it's always in proximity to, right? Okay. So there's a, you know, a, an autonomy and a semi-autonomy that human beings have, you know? Um, and there it's, it's, you know, it's interdependent <laughs> in that space. And mm-hmm. those spaces are, you know, created with, you know, with genius and desire and grace and liberty. And, you know, they also created with grief and mourning and things of things that um, holistically make us, you know, sentient beings, you know, so, mm-hmm. you know, I, you know, I understand whiteness. It's not, it's not a subject. I understand the 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 necessity to move and navigate in it, but it's not the axis, you know. Mm-hmm. So yes, it's like it's like society is deemed that this is this is the practice of the world. This is the system of the world, and everything is inside it. And your work is completely um, showing that that is not the case. And through your painting and drawing and work is that this whole um, language is available uh, for everyone. And, and I, I, I'd like to ask you what, like, as an audience coming to your work, as you said earlier on, that the shapes were the beginning for you. And again, it's, it was kind of the beginning for me to really get into your practice. So as an audience, it feels like th- these incredibly... Um, beautiful they kind of look like universe galaxy constellations your work and then you have this horizon line which goes through and the horizon line Mm. for me feels Mm -hmm. like a place Mm -hmm. of hope the distance that you need to travel there's always a horizon line that features Mm -hmm. in your work so as an audience Mm -hmm. coming to your work it's like what do you what what do you want people to spend time working out Hmm, interesting. I don't know if I, I don't know if I operate or think 
in that way. Uh, mm-hmm. um, they're free to, I, I say I was listening to Alice Walker the other day. Oh, yeah. And I'm just going to uh, ch- uh, channel her for a minute. They're free to think what they want. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I don't have a desire around what or how someone thinks. Um, you know, my work is about my thinking mm-hmm. and my work is about mm-hmm. my perspective and what I want to work out and and what I hope um, um, if there if I can use the word hope, which I never do. Uh, I'll say it differently. I say what I um, what I intend is to grow with the ever expanding universe, and I say that both scientifically. I say it in ideas of you know theoretically in physics, and I also say it in ideas of what I think is a swelling liberation. So when I say um, these things, I want to be in kin with that, right? I want individuals who can, you know, think on that register of liberation in multiple um, entry points to, I want to be their kin, you know? I, I want to belong mm-hmm. to the thing that I inherently belong to and the thing that I'm growing up in, but I also want to make paintings um that have relationships with people who believe in that expansion, who believe in that invention and who believe that perception and growth of, you know, humanity is always present. Mm. Do you feel like you You want to, you feel like you're handholding this conversation? You want to handhold this? (laughs) (laughs) I hope hope I'm not handholding. I hope that I'm, I hope that I'm amongst, you know, individuals who have similar capabilities. I hope yeah, that yeah, we yeah. are. Yes. It's a it's a line of us yeah. that move forward. Whether you're an art maker or a, will say as a creative sentient being, whether human or not, um, I want to belong to that line of, you know, that line of existence. So I don't mm-hmm. think I'm hand holding. I think that. I struggle in the studio because I'm supposed to as an artist. I'm supposed to work hard. I'm supposed to research. I'm supposed to, you know, discipline myself. I'm supposed to create moments of improvisation. I'm supposed to study hard. I'm supposed to engage, you know. So I hope that <laughs> I'm not hand-holding. And if, I'll say if, um, I don't even, I yeah, I don't even, I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not even sure I know what that means. But, um, you know, I'm. I'm just out here in the rigor of it, you know, and if I'm not holding anybody's hand, either keep up or not, you know, in a way, you know, so Mm -hmm. I know people who I want to get to, you know, I know, I know artists that I want to, like, I want to get there. I want to be kin to that. And I Mm -hmm. want everybody to come with. So it's not hand holding. It's much more um, aggressive, I think. (laughs) <laughs> as in, yes. the, in the tradition yes. of painting, oh, yes. in the tradition of how yeah, painters yeah, yeah. can be, we can be, you know, we mean something and we're trying to do something. We have intention around it. And it's, it's medita- from meditation, a meditation warrior, as some say. Yeah, and actually, I've, I've seen films of you uh, painting and 
even with kind of like ink and the way you kind of push ink across paper, say. And I've, I've always been struck by this kind of thoughtfulness and the kind of reflection within that, because I, I, I've always thought of you as this very cerebral um, artist in, in many ways. But then there's this other side, which is much more instinctive, I imagine, as a creative you know, as a painter, can we talk a bit about how, how that came into your life? Like the, the kind of what, what the drive was, you know, when you were growing up in Chicago to become a painter and, and the kind of creativity that comes with that. Yeah, sure. You know, I, um, my dad often took us camping and canoeing. So it was a lot of preparation <laughs> to get out into some water that could whisk you away. Right. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. and, um, also my grandfather who was, um, James Samuel Madison, the president of local one, the hotel and restaurant union in Chicago was very much laws and rules in preparation for the indeterminable. So I just <laughs> grew up around, you know, preparation, focus, expansion, to get ready for the indeterminable. So it's just kind of a way in which things get done. You know, yeah. it's just the, the way in which things really get done. I was looking at Angela Davis and she reiterates that for me every time I listen to her. It's like, uh -huh. what is the purpose? The purpose is to, you know, create a condition of liberation. What do you do if you prepare for that? You know, so, you know, and I didn't start painting until I got to Tougaloo and um, I was, um, you know, I, I just kind of fell into it. It just was like, wow. Then I met Larry, Mary Lovelace O'Neill, um, who David Driscoll introduced me to. And then there was, mm -hmm. it was a wrap. It was just like, wait a minute. What is this thing? What mm -hmm. is going on? Mm -hmm. I'm going to be that now. So I just made a hard shift. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss what was you making before that what was the work before that sorry oh i was studying sociology social work i wasn't making anything before it oh interesting oh right wow but that is a shift what an incredible shift wow in some ways yeah but equally maybe not i mean if you think of some of the artists we've been meeting in more recent times i feel like there's such a connection isn't there to like you know, this idea of social work and community and all of these things. So maybe it's an interesting beginning for you. You know, in, in terms I think of your so. Artwork. You yeah. know, I, I think so. It, it, um, it, it, it showed me quick in my field study 
in social work that systems mm-hmm. are horribly flawed. Yes. Um, <laughs> and uh, mm. so I, I really struggle with that, but I understand the power of them and how um, they can be unkept from the inside and unkept from the outside. So with the, the artwork, it's, it's very much, it's, most of it is in solitude. Right, most of it is in solitude, mm-hmm. but I am always belonging. So there's never. I'm not one of those artists like, oh, I go deep and to a kind of solitude space, and that's a moment of solitude. And I feel like I make better art. You know, mm-hmm. solitude helps me become a better person, mm-hmm. and then I make art because it's just the thing I happen to know how to do. Now, whether I do a well is a case-by-case situation, but I do know how to do that thing. So, you know, who's, you know. And if, you, you know, if you're what, thinking you know. about the, the, social, the social kind of, um, the social work and, and, and that kind of part before you were making paintings, was there something, because we, we, we spoke to the Turner Prize um, joint winner, Helen Kamuk, who's a British artist, and she'd worked as a social worker for like a decade before she mm. started to focus on her artwork. Oh, yes, and yes, she yes. said that she felt incredibly kind of frustrated and despondent with, with the reality of being a social worker and the impact she could make on the world. And I think she felt like by making art, she was somehow going to affect... Um, culture in such a way, hopefully, you know, as an aspiration, which she actually has gone on to do, to bring about kind of change um, on a larger platform, perhaps, you know, to to get issues spoken about in public, in the public realm, almost. Is is that something that you would have felt yourself? Was was there frustrations with the idea of going down that route as a career? Absolutely. Yes, I would say yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I I think that, well, absolutely, yes. Okay, so I'll say this. The tools, as I was, I'm also a teacher, an educator. Yes. And so if we are to say that we belong to ideas, theories, um, sort of academic practices, ways of knowing that are towards progressive thinking, um, better ways of living, more ecologically sound world, then we have to say that, you know, a shift needs to be made and things need to be taught and things need to be shared. So whatever tool that one is given to make that change, you really need to believe in that tool. You know, you really need to have a fidelity to the thing that's going to help you contribute to making the world a more expansive, more just place. Yes. So... In sociology, social work, there are tools that I think individuals can render masterfully, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. masterfully within those systems. I'm not one of those individuals, right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. the system itself, I think, is flawed, be- one, because it's under you know, a kind of capitalist invis- invisibility that, that's monstrous and will never work. But, but some of these systems that function with people who are writing legislation and writing laws and writing, rewriting these systems, they understand that tool and are doing it as successfully as they can, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not good with that hammer. Like, I'm not good with that nail. I needed something else. So I don't want to, you know, 
because I um, very much understand um, the social welfare system and the capital welfare system as things that are, um, you know, contradictory, but tied together. So, mm. you know, it's, it's more a little bit more complicated than, than that, but I would say yes, but it's a little bit more, I think, yeah, I complicated. I yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, um, not, it's not. But I couldn't. Thing. Right, you have to work with your propensity towards things. I yeah. think. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So, so talking about Mary Lovelace O'Neill's work. So, did you actually get to meet her then, and 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 learn about her work from her herself? Oh yeah, she came to Tougaloo. Uh, oh. Dr. Driscoll had brought her down, and she gave a talk, and she showed us her her Wales fucking series, and I was mm-hmm. it was that was it that was it. Wow. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> she was talking about, well you know, oh my goodness, please. Yeah. She was also, she showed these paintings when she was um, painting when, women in jihabs. And like you could see the way in which she slung the paint, the way in mm-hmm. which she um, could talk about women that sometimes appeared oppressed but self chose a kind of ritual and a garb and underneath was like this glistening kind of um, representation. So, you know, I think her paintings are, first of all, formally, conceptually complex. The surfaces can't be beat and she's Mm -hmm. free. You know, she's Mm -hmm. a free person and could speak freely about global politics through abstract painting. And I was was blown away. Yeah, yeah. And also she's often used... I was just going to quickly say she 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 also often um, used kind of mixed media as well, so it wasn't always just just paint. So I feel like she's really pushed the medium to this kind of, you know, to 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 a new place, like you were describing earlier about what what your aims were. No, I I think so. I think um, I'm I'm really honestly I'm totally totally just interested in how she uses paint. Mm. <laughs> it's just <laughs> I'm obsessed. Yeah. With, I, I that's why I describe myself as a painter because. You know, I just, I'm just, I'm just really taken and moved by the way in which different artists can take liquidity, conditions of liquidity, and turn it into something that through a condition of state change ends up something that is, um, you know, that transcends the moment that transcends uh, a moment um, that was before, you know, I hope I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm choking, not choking, but I'm thinking about, but it's like the the manipulation of paint. Yeah. How that can give a mess. Yeah. That's incredible. Like even with one. Yes. Robert Irwin with one mark, there it is. So mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's um, yeah. I don't know. Th- these are things you cannot explain. These are things that come out yeah. of, you know, some internal shit that you just have to practice <laughs> to get it right. You just have to make enough mm-hmm. to make something that trans, you know, that, that causes a transformation and is in itself yeah. um, a thing you can't explain. Do you have that in your own practice? Do you, when when you're making paintings, do you find that you have this freedom uh, of like movement of your body into the painting? Uh, 
I do. I do. Sometimes I have more moments of improvisation than others that where I feel lost and kind of in direct conversation with the liquid that's in front of me, right? There's things going mm -hmm. on. I'm responding. There's a moment. And sometimes I am very much caught into conditions of the envelope, right? Um, how to expand and contract a space. Sometimes I'm preoccupied um, with conditions of space you know, spatial realities in the paintings that not that are not always about improvisation. So, mm -hmm. you know, it really depends on, you know, what's going on in the studio, you know, what's going on with mm -hmm. me. Uh, but mm -hmm. more often than not, the more space I have, the stronger the painting is. <laughs> right. Really, right. And there's so many... Um, elements to go into it because you use acrylic and graphite but there's wood there's ink brass these all play big roles in uh, your practice i was also just thinking about that actually because the the surfaces that that you know are part of the installations that you create yeah. uh, when you mentioned that idea of sentient beings earlier and this kind of idea of consciousness and perception and sensation and all of these uh, elements which are definitely you know a massive part of the way that as a viewer I've interpreted your work if that makes sense like I feel like you're speaking to us on on a you're communicating with us far beyond what other painters have done previously in my experience yes. anyway yes yes I agree well I'm not even sure what to say about that <laughs> I I feel like I am, I, I just don't know what to say about that. I think about painters like, you know, Radcliffe Bailey. I think about Tony Smith. I think about, I mean, I mean, I, I don't know what to say about that. I, mm. I just don't know what to say about that. I'm, I'm, you know, hmm, okay. <laughs> okay. You, okay. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. You um you mentioned Robert Irwin earlier, which is uh, an artist who's well known within the light and space artist umbrella. Larry Bell, Mary Course. Would you like to consider yourself as part of that in, in conversation, as part of the lineage of the light and space artists? I think about. <laughs> the way in which light is projected in space, right? Mm -hmm. So the way in which I align or think about Irwin in particular is in work that I haven't even made yet. Mm -hmm. So right. when I think about the, my own capabilities of making large-scale abstractions, I am definitely lining up my own information, knowledge, and studies to be in conversation with reflection, light as a medium, transparency and opacity, perspective that rings true from a lens of a human experience, but more specifically a black experience. So mm -hmm. I understand the way in which 
light image space within a sort of black diverse discursive experience can be very complicated. And it is in relationship to bondage and freedom. And it's a relationship to the whole and the sky. It is in relationship to invention. So when I think about Erwin's work in particular, I think about really a kind of condition of gradient. I really think about a kind of condition of light over time in a control space that is a critique of mm -hmm. the ways in which our built environments have functioned. Mm -hmm. So yes, I say in one sense, but for work I honestly haven't even made yet. So I think wow. about it and I feel like I'm in preparation for, so say like the work that for the um, um, the nineteen nineteen show we talked about Eugene Williams, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I am Black very water. aware. Mm -hmm, I'm very aware that the, that plexiglass with those you know trapezoidal prisms need to mm -hmm. be worked out, right? So mm -hmm. I am very much looking forward to <laughs> the chance to really add distance or I'll say, I'll say add real critical conversations around the conditions of distance to the narratives uh, and the work of people like Erwin. Um, so yeah, mm -hmm. so I think that is to say I've thought about it. Got it. <laughs> so Rob, Rob mentioned in the intro about um, cartographic, which is, again, the practice of drawing maps. Do you feel like, I feel like in your work, they have these kind of astrological ship navigation, like star alignments as well. Is that, is that something that you, you consider cartographicness when you're creating these landscapes, these geometric works? Mm. Not specifically. I think cartography is a, is a is a is a bit conservative in relationship to the kind of paintings that I want to make, and that is to say mm -hmm. that there is a condition of disrupted localities. There is a condition of um, displacement. There's also a, a condition of acute awareness of um, time and space and environment, right? So there's both a belief in the importance of the history of mapping and drawing maps, but I also am very mm -hmm. aware that that is a position of power, you know, most readily known and most, you know, um, I think, that my body has lived through is redlining, right? So mm. maps and expedition. Sorry, what's redlining? Redlining is a method. It's a way in which city maps are drawn to economically and arbitrarily lock people out of um, different kind of geographic 
conditions or possibilities, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. redlining is a tool used to both economically isolate and geographically silo um, people of color. Mm-hmm. Um, so mapping and the history of mapping, both through redlining, both through um, the development of global mapping and what's on the map, what's not on the map, how things are drawn are all a part of uh, a huge condition of, um, in the worst way of, um, you know, patriarchy and uh, capital patriarchy and dominations and colonialism. So that being said, that being said, I think uh, the way in which black folks have mapped out things in both on paper and on sand and on water and on the body is uh, mm-hmm. an awareness of the ways in which human beings um, and the idea of coordinates, it begins a kind of subjectivity with the individual perception. So that is to say, no, I don't directly think about cartography in the work, but I understand it as a uh, critique uh, of the history of cartography and map making by just mm-hmm. understanding myself as a viewer that has a possibility of shifting coordinates, right? Like I have the ability to understand, shift, organize, compose my own coordinates without being one, without having those things imposed upon me. So the stars, the triangles or the, 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 um, the arrows are about a kind of unmapping, unkeeping the thought that someone can really truly comprehend what I'm thinking in my own coordinates as a black woman. Like there's, Mm -hmm. there's, there's no such thing as comprehending the history of the way black people have um, choreographed their bodies and understood spaces of liberation. So, you know, so I'm interested in that thinking out of, this determinable space, right? And sometimes right. the non-space is the the actual um, reality of a liberatory yeah. moment. So, mm-hmm. so you see, you see the body as moving architecture. I do, I do. I, I see the body as a you know biomorphic um, architecture in the expanded in in the expanded field, right? So. The idea about architecture as a that has a capability, I'll say the body as a kind of theoretical and poetic space um, that has the ability to create space for somebody else, right? Mm-hmm. So Right. I would argue that the history of Black Dance, Mantu, the Ring Shout, bodies become in this collective way interiors. Collective bodies become interiors for other experiences in Blackness. Mm-hmm. And then there's the physical and concreteness of architecture that has these envelopes that can, you know, expand and contract based on how the body pushes up against it. You know, how the how the body as a blob pushes up against an architecture that is soft, right? So mm-hmm. these kinds of things become, I think, indelibly tied to the body as a 
capable space for radical architecture. Right, right. And also, wow. and, and you, you mentioned music earlier, and I, I guess sound as well, and the influence of music can also interact with the body, can't it? And, and, and space, like it's... Oh, absolutely. I, uh, yes, I have, a, I have a very strange... Uh, I said something very strange a while back, and um, I, 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 still, I still like it. I still like this. I'm not, I haven't worked it out, but I was saying that, okay, if Mahalia Jackson, Jackson is like belting out, you know, these like sparkles of spit, you know, are coming out of her mouth, right? Mm -hmm. There's mm -hmm. a kind of projection, again, projection and space and air and voice and sound mm. that is incredible, you know, mm. and it's, it's a witness, not only sound, but that spit is also witness, you know, of it. Yeah. So evidence of it. So sound for me, you know, from, you know, Mahalia to, you know, to Tamar Kali, it's, it's like a thing that has so much both discipline and power and interiority and um, a kind of you know, immeasurable buoyancy and genius and ripple. You know, it's just sound. <laughs> the way it moves through air is different. The moves through water is different. You know, you know, sound, air, light, all of the elements. You know, earth, wind, and fire. Like, bring it on. You know, yeah. all of it. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. I just, yeah, yeah. I'm into it all. You know, I'm into the freedom. You know, we talk about Coltrane often, but I think the reason we talk about Coltrane so much is because of his you know, willingness, and this is rigor, and I want to take, I use the word aggressive out, I want to take that out and replace it with exhausting the possibilities of something, right? right. With so much yeah, yeah, rigor, yeah. Yes. with so much rigor that it feels like, you know, it feels like something you've never heard or experienced before, mm -hmm. but it's something that you completely are, um, it's a language that is in you already. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Yeah. So exhausting the possibilities of sound, it's like, well, how does one exhaust the possibility of geometries that come from the history of black liberational moves? You know, mm -hmm. you do it mm -hmm. by making tens and thousands of drawings, you know? Right. So it's, mm. it's just, Getting, it's getting there. It's getting there. It's getting in there. It's getting there. It's getting there, and I'm just relentless around it. Mm. You draw. You draw every day. Every day. How, how and you're in the studio every day. No, mm -mm. no, I'm not in the studio every day at all. But I have drawing is say like um say if I have a word. Right, like when you all were doing your introduction, and mm -hmm. I say ceremony, mm -hmm. and I write the word ceremony down, I will draw a box around it, right? Mm -hmm. And then I will draw right. a curve next to that box and say ceremony, and then I'll say temple. So the act of moving my hand, making a mark in this very conservative method of drawing. I have more, you know, more expanded ways, but this is a sort of conservative method of drawing that has to do with language, 
thought, linear thinking, and the idea of coming up with a paragraph and or a sentence that hosts my meaning truly. So drawing helps me construct those words that are strung together into something that's meant to do something else. Wow, but are you are you constantly analysing yourself with what you're drawing? You know, like when you're on a telephone and you doodle, we do tele- telephone doodles and then you look at it back and you're like, wow, there's a house and a tree and a squirrel. What does that mean? But do you look at these these shapes that you you gravitate towards, like you said, put the box around the word and everything, and do you analyse yourself constantly with what you're creating? Do I analyse it? Well, I step, when I'm, it depends on the it depends on the way and why I'm drawing at the moment. But if I'm if I have mm-hmm. a if I have a if I have a intention of creating a three point perspective to talk about something like you mentioned before, something in the horizon, right? Mm-hmm. Then my intention is to concentrate on, you know an angular system to concentrate on a planal system so that I can achieve that level of um, perspective in space. So I'll analyze it. Is it tight? Is it expansive? Are the, is this shape oscillating? You know, what does it mean to, um, you know, create something that's kinetic um, or draw something that's has the capability of thinking about things that are kinetic, or or am I thinking about absolute, you know, the warrior of the stillness? So it, it depends on what my mind and brain are doing. It just right, right, it just mm-hmm. depends. Sometimes I you know I don't I analyze when I write and I'm thinking and I'm writing things out. The drawing helps me pause. Right, it helps me slow down. And then when mm-hmm. I look back at the paper and I say, okay, well, I can understand the word, something like ceremony or narrative or temple or exit. And then when I'm putting mm-hmm. it on a large painting, somehow that ceremony seeps into my, my body, right? You know, and I'm mm-hmm. back to the present in front of the painting and I'm not daydreaming and I'm, I don't know. It's all connected. It's all this, you know. Yeah. So, so the word ends up becoming abstracted within you, and then comes out geometrically in your work. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. The well, the work is the underpainting is uh, is really wet. So the geometry comes in right. much later, right? So the the underpainting, right. the washes and 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 the drawing with the water and and what I mean by that the Paintings start on the floor. I pour water pigment on top, and then I'm moving it around to control the way in which the liquidity creates its own space, mm-hmm. right? So when I have a sense of foundation, a sense of liquidity, a sense of you know a moment of experience, the indeterminable, then I sort of on top of that can build in a kind of logic system. And then I break that up and then I build on top of that. And then when I get to the haptic, when I arrive at the haptic, then there's, then there's, um, I think it's time for the ceremony. 
right? When I arrive at the last layer, when I'm in my right mind as a painter, that is, um, mm-hmm. the last layer is kind of this moment of ceremony. It's, um, um, you know, that I saw the, t- the, the temple of the impermanence, you know, that's where I'm really can be myself, you know, I guess. Right, right. And um, what what is next for you? Are are you working on a show at the moment? And and since your career in a kind of in the in the art world has kind of developed, do you find that um, having kind of deadlines for exhibitions or um, you know installations or all all the things that you're doing, do 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 you find the pressure helpful or like in order to sort of get work finished, or or Mm. are you constantly able to create and finish work? Do you get what I mean? Like. Yeah, I, I'm super fortunate. I'm really fortunate in that the people that I work with are just so in tune, you know, with the process. You know, it's yes. like I, I'm, I'm working anyway. I'm ready, and you know, I'm mm-hmm. just ready. You know, and yeah. I'm ready to make the things that I haven't seen before. I'm ready to make these. You know, make be in, be the kind of artist that. Um, it's unfamiliar even to myself. So I don't, I don't find it, I find it allowing me and uh, these invitations allow me platforms for invention, right? right. So yeah. that's, they're just, and the people I work with are just, they're cool with that. There's no, and the, 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 the I guess the more the career takes off the, 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 the better they are with it. It's just, I'm really lucky in the space that I'm in and the people I'm working with. It's like, they take me, you know, they take the process very seriously and they're not, they're not out here clowning around, you know, they are really Mm -hmm. understand the, that there's, you know, experiment art, (laughs) you know, invention, radicality. They really believe that artists have something to do and something to say. So, you know, yeah, I don't feel that yeah. yet. You know, I don't feel mm-hmm. that yet. You know, yeah. when, you know, I'm, sometimes they, sometimes I'm like, they can see things that I don't even see because I'm so like, I just don't understand what I'm looking at. And then yeah. they'll come in and be mm-hmm. like, you know what? You got to see it outside. You got to let it out. And I'm, and then when I let it out, I can just bow to it. You know, it's just, wow. you know, bow to the moment bow to the energy, bow to the community. I can just say, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. You know, yeah. you know, so. Well, that's great. Wow. I mean, that's the dream really is to have people you collaborate yeah. with who can nurture and also enable you to protect what it is that you're doing. If you know what I mean? Like it's, it's yeah. your, it's your sacred thing. And um, yeah, my artist yeah. friends do that too. Like I, mm. I come, you know, we're all like, we're all very, intended on gratitude and yes and and when i say bow i mean bowing to the art object as a surrender like okay (laughs) all right (laughs) you win you win you win yes in a way but yeah the power of art yeah yeah love that love 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 how do you switch off torquoise what is it is is art your switch off or what do you do you have to have something else to take your mind somewhere else 
be it literature or movies or oh it's all the same okay off i i know what you mean i, I know what you're asking um love making <laughs> oh wow cool oh that's great. the only thing that really <laughs> that's, a... <laughs> <laughs> that's the only thing yeah, that can great. really well, give me that was unexpected yeah Really? I've had a, I've had a couple yeah. of arguments about this question, like why do you, why can't really? you switch off or what? It, and I was like, okay, well, this is I know that that's what t- it takes. Right, right, right. Interesting. Great, and that and you, and you that's good, and that's happening in your life, I'm, right? <laughs> I mean, that's the first question. Don't answer that. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, I don't know why I asked I will that. Not answer that. Ignore that. <laughs> Yes, you don't need to answer that. I don't know why I asked it. Ignore me. I'm so sorry. We get really interested in in, um, we get really interested in how artists uh, fuel themselves in their studios. Do you have a specific drink and go to food that fuels your practice while you're working? Hmm, that's a good question. Hmm. Hmm. (laughs) Well. I like a nice mezcal with an ice cube when it's late. Um, I like when it's super, super late and I have to stay up and I need a little bit of boost. Um, Water, it's morning, like water, water, water in the morning. But food, I don't know. I can't say food, 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 food. I cannot say. That's an interesting question. Food. Yeah, mm. what's your go? You don't like go to sushi. You're not like get a craving Snack? for that. No. Halfway through the day. Or... I wow. don't. Let me think. I truly. I. That's interesting. I do. I've not even eaten today. Um, hmm. Whoa. Let me think. I don't have a food. Maybe I should get one. <laughs> but I don't have hmm. one. Well, maybe not. Maybe <laughs> I you're doing fa- just you know, good I the way don't, you are. don't have one. Maybe I just, uh, I mean, I'm, you know, I eat just like everybody else. But in the studio, a mezcal would be nice, like a nice gin when it's late. Mm. Um, never coffee. Um, a good ginger tea. Uh, mm. When I need to sit down, when I need to stop and sit down, I make myself a ginger mm-hmm. tea so I can slow it down. Uh, no, I don't have a, a studio snack. During COVID, I ordered uh, date bars, which was a mistake. Oh, but, really? Um, what? Because you wanted them too, just, mel- too much. <laughs> well, I didn't realize they had so much, so many carbs. Ah, yeah. I didn't yeah, realize. Yeah. You know, I. I get no really idea. addicted to dates. To, you know, to date to, <laughs> yeah. to those. They're, they're also like a healthy, laxative. You don't want to have too super, many dates, do you? You don't want it. They're, yeah. they're quite indulgent. I didn't know somewhere. that. Oh, goodness. I didn't know that yeah. either. Mm. Yeah, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, be careful. I think you're talking about prunes. I think you're talking oh, yeah, about prunes. Yeah, oh, you am are, I? actually, Russ. Yeah, you're talking oh. about prunes. Yeah, I think you're talking yeah. about prunes. Oh, I'm Thanks such a fool. I'm a fool. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> well, look, so, um, so Kwasi, we, we ask every guest two questions. And the first okay. is, if you could do an imaginary art heist and take home an artwork or a building or anything um, home with you, um, what would it be? And it could be as big as you want or as tiny as you want or anything. Something oh, that means a lot I, to you, almost like a touchstone. <laughs> yes. I, oh, that is a good one. <laughs> mm, let's see. Let's see. 
That's a good one. I've never ever thought about that. <laughs> an, uh, an art heist. Yeah. Let's see. Hmm. Mm. Damn. What would I do? An art heist. That's got to be good. That's got to be really good. Uh, maybe. Okay. This is what I would do. Okay. Mm-hmm. I would take, and this is horrible. And people are going to hate me for it. This is a horrible, horrible thing. I would take the whole of David Driscoll's house. Wow. I would take his whole house and everything. Right. Tell us who David Driscoll is. Ha- Tell us the story of David Driscoll. <laughs> Dr. Driscoll, um, he's an artist. He's an art historian. He's a collector. He's a genius. He's a teacher. And, a, a, you know, just... Um, a, you know, one of the first people at Tougaloo to really talk to me about the seriousness of um, art and his capabilities. He introduced me to Samela Lewis. Um, but yeah, his house, I would take all of the art in it, all of the books, the house itself. If I was going to do a heist, where would you put him? Where would you put David? <laughs> Well, David is in my heart. He's he's an ancestor now. He's transitioned. Yeah. Okay. But um, right. even when I was in his house, every time I go, I'm like, I would take this whole house and everything oh. in it. Um, so that would be my heist uh, if mm-hmm. I could heist something. I, I mean, totally. It's just, it's but what sort of art did he have then? What what was it you were seeing? Well, he, he, he was had, a leading authority, wasn't? Isn't he? Oh, sorry, wasn't yes, he on um, yes, African American art? He was yes. a kind of visionary, visionary uh, human being. And yes, he passed away yes. earlier right, this right. year, sadly. But yeah, um, yes, absolutely. He lives so, on, lives on for sure. Yeah, he had everything from Picasso to Elizabeth Catlett mm. to John Biggers. To you know, in Kesey artifacts. I mean, it was it was the books alone, his pots, his pans, and his kitchen. (laughs) (laughs) His whole his whole eco system of life um, is for me, and generosity and tenderness and voice. I just heist the whole thing. <laughs> wow, that that's really a great I wonderful, answer. wonderful. How answer. He sounds that is what an impressive man. Yeah, if I could get um, away with just okay, one the other of his pans, asked, I'd be happy with that. Yeah, just <laughs> one Amazing. of his cooking pans. I'd Amazing. Be happy with that. But go ahead. <laughs> so the other question we ask is, what is your favorite color and why? Oh, I don't have a favorite color. <laughs> I don't. I don't understand no. that. I don't. I don't understand it. Go on. Like I really, I don't understand how someone can have a favorite color. Mm-hmm. I've um, people like have a, asked me that for so long. Like, what is your favorite color? Uh-huh. I'm like, under what condition? Like, I don't All understand right. the favorite color possibility. Mm-hmm. Like, how could you possibly? It's have too a binary. Well, mm, yeah, maybe. I mean, I maybe, you know, I, I you know, I, I don't understand it. Maybe I, yeah, it's be it's beyond me how someone can have a favorite color. 
It's really strange, you know, because when I hear that question, my favourite colour is orange. And it's because whenever I hear that question, I immediately think of orange and I get really, like, kind of heated, like, passionate, like, I love orange. And I don't know where that comes from, though. It's the weirdest thing. But it doesn't leave me. It, like, it happen- I think it gets more intense the older I get. It's really odd. So, uh, but yeah, do maybe- you say that, is that your favourite colour or a colour yeah. that turns something... You know, if, yeah. That's got to be your favourite colour, isn't it? The colour, colour that affects you the most. Well, yeah, but it's the colour that makes me feel kind of like it kind of pushes me forward somehow. Like I feel okay. like if I'm having a really down day, say you're feeling depressed uh, or something, if I wore an orange jumper, I suddenly feel invigorated and like I have more purpose or something. Mm. And I feel like it boosts. Uh, it's like a boosting it's thing. Powerful. For me. It's a powerful kind of impact on me. So, yeah, but again, that's still very specific, isn't it? Because it's to do with a, a certain circumstance in a way. Okay. And well, I, I think because it. <laughs> and I think because it does that for me, it, like, that's why I sort of love it so much because it's like a thing that can boost or something. I don't know. But that's interesting. We've never had that yeah. answer. So, I, I, I love and respect that answer a lot. We've never and had either of them answers. <laughs> I must just say as well, I can't get Mahalia Jackson out of my mind now. And that, that, that description yeah. that you gave of yeah. the spit and like the, mm. you know, the, almost like the life force moving through the air and the yeah. air particles. And it really got me thinking about the way that when someone can sing or someone can make a painting or, and how it can molecularly affect you, yeah. you know, yes. without words. Mm. That, that's, that's kind of, you know, earlier on when I said that I felt I had connected to your work in a way, that's almost what I was trying to explain. And I, I respect and understand your response to what we were saying because maybe it is ridiculous to tell you that. But, but, but I think that's the power of art and the power of music and all creativity is that it can be you know, it can affect people in, mm. in, in a molecular way. And I, I really think that description you gave was so, you know, the perfect summation of mm-hmm. that for me. So thank you for that as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're welcome. Watch some, uh, watch some, turn on some YouTube, watch some videos. You'll oh, I'm going to do it right around. after this. You know, here's some <laughs> totally. gospel. You'll have totally. a really moment. You'll have a, you'll have a, you'll have a moment. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that will last Where can we well. see you next, Torquaze? <laughs> where, where, where can our audience see your work next? What are you working towards? Um, I have a project coming up at the Wex. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm sure I'm for, I have. Oof, I'm, Where is that? The Wex, the that's now. the Wexler, is it? Yeah, I'm sorry. The Wexler Center that. for the Art. That's all right. Just saying, the Wexler Center for the Arts is an art institute <laughs> in Columbus, Ohio. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I also have a project coming up. Um, it's a group exhibition uh, between, uh, I can't say much about it, but it's between Mississippi Museum of Art and the Baltimore Museum of Art. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, wow. I, I know I'm forgetting something. My studio director is going to kill me. <laughs> well, um, we can always share I'm it on our, on our Instagram if you, <laughs> if you, if you want to email us. Oh, oh, there's, a, there's something there. Wait a minute. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm so crazy. Um, <laughs> I'm so crazy. Uh, back to Earth at Serpentine. Ah. That's going on. Yeah. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. yeah Here yeah, in yeah. London. Amazing. Yep. Well, yeah, that's not open yet, has it? Is that, is that? No, 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 no. I think oh, they're going to next year. Oh, fantastic. Yes. Yeah, it got great. Postponed. And that's a yeah. group show. <laughs> yep. Yep. Brilliant. Awesome. Yeah, so. well, we have a lot of listeners in the UK, so that will be great for them. And then for the listeners in yes. America, they can go to Columbus, Ohio. Loving that. Well, thank you so much, Torquase. This has just been the biggest privilege to hear you speak and thank you for your generosity. And um, yeah, it's been 
a real privilege. Thank you. Yeah, Thank you're an incre- incredible mind. It's been it's been really inspiring and humbling and everything. It's been the most. Hopefully, chat. we we Thank actually get to meet you in person time. very soon. Yeah, totally. Um, totally you know, totally. COVID allowing and all that. But when we're right. back in New York or when yeah. you're here, we would love to hang out and see you. And um, okay, yeah, for count all me images, in. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> wonderful. For, for images <laughs> of all the artworks we've discussed in today's episode, you can visit at Torka our Instagram and Torquase. Are you on um, Instagram? I am on Instagram. I'm just Torquase. <laughs> cool. So we will, on Instagram. <laughs> we'll link to you there. Okay, and um, thank you for listening, everybody. We'll be back very soon. Thank you, everyone. Thank, thank you, you Torquase. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. You've been listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamond and Russell Toby. Follow us on Instagram at Talk Art, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in today's episode, with music by Jack Northover. Subscribe to Talk Art at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Give us a rating and write us a comment. Thanks for listening. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com